Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermentable. Archived right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, also on Stitcher and iTunes. Mary, welcome back. We missed you very much. Thanks. I'm happy to be back in the studio. Are you aware of what's going on in the city this week? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Not this week, but I do have two announcements. So the first is um, our friend Elizabeth Ryan of Breezy Hill Orchard. Um, she's been selling apple juice and as well as apples and, um, and then more recently in the past year or so, hard cider at local green markets. That's where I first met her. I actually used her some of her apple juice for some of my first batches of hard cider, and they turned out delicious. So... They actually acquired Stone Ridge Orchard a few weeks ago um, after working for four years to raise the funds to acquire and preserve it. They now have a plan to plant a new orchard of historic hard cider apples to support their expanding small hard cider business. Um, So they're doing a Kickstarter. They're planting 1,200 rare and venerable hard cider varieties from the ciderlands of Europe and America. And um, their Kickstarter is called Plant an Heirloom Hard Cider Apple Orchard in New York. I think it's a great cause if you're interested in, um, you know, helping preserve some of these heirloom varieties of apples, as well as supporting um, local agriculture and hard cider production. Please check out this Kickstarter page. I'm actually going to tweet it right now from uh, Femen About It on Twitter. That's exciting. And uh, Jimmy Carboni is hosting a a cider, pre-cider thing in... uh, middle of june on june 20th cider wick w-i-c-k and he's gonna have a bunch of cider in town uh at the restaurant at june 43 it should be fun i'm just bringing that up because that's on topic but that's with true. all this cider- <laughs> Wait, I, I have one other thing that i just happened to run across today um so actually um on seriouseats.com they recently did the serious eats guide to sugar um they originally it originated on may 16th and um, it's really geared more towards bakers and home cooks, but I think it's actually a really nice reference, um, kind of good read-through for, for you know, any, anybody who uses sugar in their fermentations. I've been doing a lot of uh, fermentations with sugar, which we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, but I think it's just a really good introduction, um, and it goes actually quite in length about, about the different types of sugars and how to use them and what they're made of, et cetera. So I'm going to also tweet that out because I think it's a good read. And sugar's amazing. So we have a... Hold up. One more thing. Uh, we're at the tail end of uh, New York... Or, sorry, uh, American Craft Beer Week, and it was a great week last week. I hope you all had some uh, American Craft Beer and supported that. And I have a very fake uh, a week that I'm in the middle of right now that it just started. It's called New York City Mead Week. So I'm hosting uh, a couple of mead events at, at 508 Gastro Brewery. Um, my website is totally down. A, a epic fail on my week, uh, nycmeadweek.com, but it might be up by tomorrow. <laughs> but we're doing a, a mead flight set at 508 all week. And uh, j- if you don't know about mead, check it out. It's a lot of fun. What's going on today, Mary? All right. So 
I don't a few maybe a couple months ago I had come across um, again a Kickstarter I think there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out of Kickstarter these days in many different levels but especially in the the area of fermentation so I was actually a little bit late to the ball their Kickstarter product project was already funded but it was for a product called bootlegger bottle and it's basically using a kind of encapsulated yeast in a special container that can give you very fast alcoholic fermentations uh, in a matter of days. So I had reached out to them, and we are very fortunate to have Josh Riley, president of Ruckus Fermentation, creator uh, creators of the bootlegger bottle, on the line with us. Hi, Josh. Hi, Mary. How are you? Good. So tell us a little bit about um, the bootlegger, or, you know, Ruckus Fermentation and the bootlegger bottle. Where'd you guys start out? Um, me and a crazy scientist both graduated from the University of Idaho. And he was developing the original fermentation technology for ethanol. And I told him he was crazy. He doesn't want to burn alcohol. He wants to be in the consumption market. And so we started working on a business plan to use that same technology in beer, wine, and other alcoholic beverage uh, applications. And we've been working on the project for about two years now. Had you been home brewing um, uh, alternate fermentations as well as beer? Um, I actually oh, yeah. started, you know, right as soon as I found about the project. I just picked up my first um, large uh, five-gallon batch um, and just started uh, fermenting in that. And then uh, he approached the business college um, and asked uh, for a business student to write him a business plan, and I was all for it. That's very exciting. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the core of this, this kind of, what you guys call it, nano-fermentation, is that correct? And nanoform? Uh, yeah, the nanoform Yeah, nanoform yeast, yeast, yeah. You hit it on the head. It's just a, an encapsulation process. And what we do is we use an alginate to capture this yeast. Um, it's actually uh, uh, just got done filing the utility patent, on which we should hear back um, from the patent office probably about august whether we've received the patent on it and so it's a very new uh encapsulation method that he he found and it basically what's the great part is we can use any type of yeast so we've stuck with a very broad application in uh wines and ciders but we can encapsulate beer yeast um pretty much in anything fermentable. And what have, um, so you guys had a big Kickstarter campaign. What have some of the people that have received the bottles? You guys had some early kind of bottle testers, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what have some of these, um, so I, have, I actually have two bottles on the way just for our audience. Yes. I have not received them as, as, uh, as you guys know, I was gone for the last two weeks. Um, uh, I had a, a family medical emergency, um, but I'm back and everybody's healthy. Um, so I have not been able to, I haven't received the bottles and I haven't been able to try them, but I wanted to go ahead and have Josh on today. And then once I get the bottles, we'll definitely be following up with some of my experimentations because I'm super excited. But I, I, as I was going saying before, what, um, what, what have you guys seen? You mentioned cider and wine. So what, what has been worked really well? And what have some of your, the people that have, uh, or you guys have found works really well? Um, so, I mean, we, we've kind of tried taking homebrewing and making it as simple as possible because we have this technology that made it faster, ferments cleaner, and uh, makes the yeast reusable for 20, 25 batches or more. 
Um, I'm, we had a local brewery here use uh, a yeast strain that we encapsulated, his yeast strain that we encapsulated, use it for six months. Um, so what we wanted to do with the bootlegger was just create a kit that was um, as simple as possible but also allowed you to get really creative with it. So I've had um, really, I would, they're amateur home brewers, but they've been to, they've been winning, you know, local brew competitions. I've had from them all the way to what we're calling sangria moms, you know, just uh, never heard of home brewing before and thought it was just for, you know, long bearded hippies. Uh, and they loved it. They instantly, you know, caught on to the idea of mixing up sugars and uh, fermenting those sugars into uh, alcohols. And we've experimented with mainly uh, just off-the-shelf 100% fruit juices, but we've had, um, I've brewed liquid malt and dry malt extract beers out of it, as well as um, uh, we push your limits into even trying to create, you know, uh, mixed cocktail drinks. Um, so what we do is we try getting the basic flavor. So if I'm doing a tequila drink, I'll use I'll ferment a bunch of agave, and because of the yeast is kind of protected, we can push the limit on how much alcohol we can get. So we can reach, you know, um, anywhere between you know 13 and 16 percent ABV. Wow. Um, so we've even pushed, you know, uh, making your own alcoholic cocktail mixes, you know. So uh, it's been uh, an experiment thus far and uh, trying to figure out, you know, one of the things is I always say give it three tries. The first time it'll be okay. The second time you'll make a slight tweak. And then the third time you can get really creative with it and adding your own, you know, mixes and infusions and stuff. So. So now, because of this yeast is encapsulated, just since you, you were talking about this tequila experiment or tequila esque experiment, um, so one of the problems that we that you know brewers, home brewers, and professional brewers have is when reusing yeast. If you don't properly wash it, you can you know it can pick up flavors. Like if you, you make a smoked beer, your yeast can pick up the flavors of the smoke. That is probably not going to happen with your guys's yeast. Is that correct? Um, and so in between batches, what we do is I, um, you literally wash it. Okay. Um, so I will get um, warm, soapy water, and I'll let it soak for a little while, um, agitating it a little bit, and it'll pull out most of the uh, whatever was before. And then what I'll do as a final kind of taste neutralizer is I'll just I'll actually soak it in the star sand. Uh, so we uh, provide these little pipettes in each kit, and what you do is you just fill it up with water, and then you add your star sand, um, and you uh, put your yeast, these uh, this nanoform yeast, through an acidic wa- uh, that star sand wash, and it pulls out, uh, kills any bacteria, and pulls out any remaining flavors, and it starts neutral again. Now, these are the, just so we kind of have a picture in our heads, um, these mm-hmm. encapsulated yeast, about how big, I mean, it's obviously much bigger than normal yeast cells. It's very, you know, this sounds like a very easy process, what you described to wash it. So what would you compare kind of the size and, and look? Yeah, um, probably like, you know, half the size of a marble. Okay. Uh, even to a quarter of the size. But right now we have a not so perfect 
uh, drip method that creates them. So they'll come out uh, in various sizes, but they just kind of look like um, that we try to get a perfect sphere, but it doesn't quite work all the time. We're working on a few other methods to kind of, because it, it's kind of like a jello. It feels like a jello almost. Mm-hmm. Um, we're thinking of new ways to make it more creative, even, you know, cut them into little squares, make them look like ice cubes, stuff like that. Very cool. Um, so. so you had a brewery use it for six months? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sawtooth Brewery out here in, uh, in Idaho, That's... outside of Boise. And what was some of their feedback that they gave you? Or... Um, primary fermentation, that was cut down in half. Wow. Uh, so their normal seven day, six to seven day was he was finishing out um, in about three days, and he was reaching higher attenuation in those three days. So he his normal Belgian yeast was uh, fermenting to about ten gravity points, and we were hitting him anywhere between six to eight, depending on where he started. And you said this um, is yeah, this is his house yeast that that you guys encapsulated. So. It, Yep, and he was doing it at the same temperatures with which he was brewing before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything stayed the same, um, and uh, throughout his normal process. And all we did was we just took his yeast through through our through this process and um, encapsulated it, and then gave it back to him and said, "Here, ferment away," and cut down his primary. His uh, in his secondary. Uh, fermentation. He was cutting down his troop levels, uh, you know, uh, 75%. So he's overall increasing his 30-gallon batches by he's throwing out an additional three three gallons uh, that wasn't going to waste because of that troop level. Yeah. That's and uh, that was, those were the two main points that, especially looking at commercial applications that are pretty huge. You mentioned also in, in uh, on your website about limiting the foam aspects from this or Krausen aspects. Is that true? Yeah. Um, well, and that's why I think the bootlegger is such a cool size because we can do it. We can have such an aggressive fermentation, and you can fill that bootlegger up almost to the brim, and you don't have to worry about a big mess tomorrow, the next morning. Uh, fermenting beers in it, I get a, there's a little bit more proteins and stuff, okay. complex sugars, uh, so I give it a little bit more room. But um, so you know, brewers are worried. The first question was, aren't you displacing a bunch of liquid? And we're like, yes, but you save that top third of your fermenter space now you because of the foam formation so it's kind of a negatable right have you guys how about as far as temperature have you guys found that that um this your product has either a positive or negative effect on you know kind of the temperature range of typical yeast have you found that brewers have been able to go outside the normal temperature range that you don't need to have a strict uh well so i mean uh a lot of the research on the fusel alcohols that we did, mm-hmm. um, a lot of that comes from, two is uh, just the general room temperature, but also the aggressive reproduction of the yeast mm-hmm. um, and all that. So since we inhibit a lot of the cell growth, um, we have, we actually, it's easier to regulate the temperature. So that's why when we're brewing in the bootlegger, we just say, leave it on your counter and it'll be fine. Um of course, I'm not down there in like Texas or anywhere where it's going to hit about 100 here soon. But um, we'll be working on how to optimize that. 
Um, but um, one of the things was how Sawtooth accidentally forgot to turn on his coolers once, and it never peaked over 77. Um, so we didn't have any off flavors from that batch, luckily. Um, what would have happened with the normal yeast, we really can't say. Right. And then I guess the other question is, what about pitching rates? So I know you guys, the product that, you know, that home brewers or home fermenters can buy, you are providing both the, the bottle, this bootlegger bottle, as well as this um, nano yeast, and it's the appropriate pitching rate. Do you have any, like if people want to scale it up to five gallons or when you talk yeah. to, you know, professional breweries? Well, that's why we chose the small kit because we could regulate how much yeast and how much liquid you're putting into it. Mm -hmm. um, but also this submersion. So yeast has a normal cyclate, uh, cycle where it'll kind of ferment on the top, come out, and it's got this natural uh, agitation on the inside. Well, because this yeast captures all the CO2, it floats to the top. So that's why we have this little French press that keeps them uh, in the middle of the liquid. Okay. Um, so that's, and I just say that because we say don't go buy in 10 of these nano form packs and trying to throw them in your carboy or you're not going to have a good time with it right. and it's not going to work out. But, um, we do have those numbers effectively. Um, we have two quarts, uh, which is a 10th, uh, I believe a 10th of a gallon, no, a 20th of a gallon, a 10th of a gallon, um, of a normal five gallon batch. And um, and it would be like adding a slap pack, uh, your normal YE slap pack, okay. into those two quarts. Um, and to just make it relative to the five-gallon, rather than adding the 100 billion cells that you normally pitch, um, we're pitching like a trillion, so 10 times uh, the amount of yeast. Okay, cool. Yeah. I can't wait to try this. I mean, it's one of those like you gotta see it to believe it. I think for me. Oh, well, and that's that's what we get a lot too. And yeah. not only just uh, see it to believe it, but then taste it to believe yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, and that's, then <laughs> it's gonna come down to that for sure. Uh huh. Um, but really, like, so you can over pitch. You know, some of these smaller breweries to get a little higher efficiencies are putting in slightly more than the recommended amount of yeast. See, over pitching's not unheard of. But you worry about off flavors for two reasons, and that's uh, yeast separation, which we control because we have it in these uh, gel form. Uh -huh. And two is um, when you have so much yeast in there reproducing, controlling the temperature is also a really big factor in there. Because yeast, uh, yeast normally yeah. on their own will, will um, provide, you know, actually create heat, their own heat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but now that they kind of don't have to create that heat to um, to regenerate, then we have a lot less turnover in the yeast. It's a lot less stressed and overall pretty much miraculous. <laughs> yeah. So. And what, what kind of yeast, um, so you have a few types of nanoform brewing yeast available now, is that yeah. correct? We're just doing two, original okay. and we're just calling it original for like your ciders and wines and then your beer yeast for, um, and it's just uh, fermentuses. Uh, I don't know if it's SO4, SO5, but we're just using an English L okay. and, um, and then for wine yeast, we're using Matronarch, uh, I believe is the name. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And right now, you, I know you guys are trying to, you know, you, you had a successful Kickstarter and now um, you're fulfilling all of those orders and you're taking pre-orders. Is that correct right now for, for other people that are interested in ordering these? Yes. Um, online. Uh, so we just threw up our new website. So we need a couple more fixes. Um, so that way it's easy to navigate to the pre-order thing. But we'll be taking pre-orders for probably till about the end of May. And then um, by then, uh, we're going to be focused on getting all of all the Kickstarter backers out, all the pre-orders. And then um, we should be fully ready for front-end orders by June. Cool. Middle of June. That's fantastic. So we can find you through ruckusfermentation.com, R-U-C-K-U-S, fermentation.com. And I'm going to throw that out on Twitter right now, actually. Thanks so much for talking to us, Josh. I'm re- we're both very excited yeah. about getting the bootlegger bottle, and um, yeah. we'll definitely be experimenting with that um, and, and talking, talking about, about it on future shows. We might have you on again to kind of fill you in right. with what, what we've been having fun with. <laughs> Yeah, great. I hope you guys have a good time uh, brewing. And um, for those of you also, we created a secondary site. It's called bootleggerbottle.co, and that's a site specifically for people who own a bootlegger bottle to share their own recipes and post and comment on everything else. So it's kind of like we built it kind of like homebrew talk, um, but a lot more easy. It's a lot easier to use because uh, it's a WordPress-based site. So we created that for everyone's own enjoyment. Fantastic. Just, you know. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and we look forward to um, speaking to you in the future. Yeah, Josh, thank you thank so you. much, man. Have well, a good one. We're going to take a quick break. Thanks for listening to Foment About It. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Welcome back to Foment About It, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> All right, so we just talked to Josh Riley um, from Ruckus Fermentation about the bootlegger bottle, and, um, and I'm really, really excited about it. It's crazy. I really do have to see it to believe it, and I want to. I want to make a bunch of crazy stuff with it, uh, both at home and maybe even trying it at five oh eight. So on that same line, yeah. um, as you guys, as I alluded to before, so I was uh, down in Atlanta at my parents' house, hanging out the last two weeks, um, helping them out after my father had surgery. Uh, so I knew I would be there at least a week, if not more. Um, and I decided to pack a travel fermentation kit. 
Um, so we're going to post a picture on this. I didn't actually take a picture yet, so we'll have to do that later tonight when we get home. But um, basically, I took, um, uh, I created a little bottle of Star Sand that was, you know, in a TSA approved bottle. So it was two ounces or less? Yeah. It was in, I don't know, I had some, you know, conditioner bottle that I cleaned out and sanitized and, and refilled. Um, I took a um, couple packets of champagne yeast, does the TSA dry know, champagne yeast. Does the TSA know what Star Sand is? Does what? The, the the TSA Nobel. probably not <laughs> no but it was in it you know it looks like anything else any other hair or body gel product yeah. that we would bring um so I took some star sand a couple packets of dry champagne yeast a packet of safe ale 05 dry beer yeast um a few bungs some grommets um airlocks mm-hmm. what else oh I know I brought a little um a funnel with a, a tube like a clear plastic tubing that is about the height of a 12-ounce, 16-ounce, 20-ounce uh, soda bottle, as well as a little plastic, um, what are those things that strain out? You know, a strainer, a little plastic strainer. Is that mm-hmm. it? Oh, and my hydrometer, which I very carefully pack, wrapped in bubble wrap and then stuck in, you know, my hard plastic tube that I used to to read it. How much space did that take? Oh, and some beer nutrient. Not very much. Very little. Um, I actually did not check my bag on the way down there and the TS, nobody at the TSA even blinked at the fact that I was carrying a hydrometer and a bunch of yeast. You left New York City for two weeks and couldn't stand not fermenting for two (laughs) weeks. So you brought this with you. Yes. (laughs) Fermentation on the go. Yep. And so I made a uh, Cima Rosa, which is a uh, fermented hard hard pink lemonade, basically. I made um, some blackberry cider and... I made, what was the other thing I made? Oh, tepache. a tapache. Yep. Yes. Um, so, interestingly enough, it went. I went straight from basically late, late winter in New York City to deep summer in Atlanta. It was in the 80s, upper 80s there, part of the time that I was there. Um, so, my parents' air conditioner actually went out while I was there. So, these things fermented in the probably like upper 70s to mid 80s, I would say, probably. I don't think they topped out over 86, but I'd say between 70 and 86. They all went, yeah, they all went from, I started around 1042 to 1044 for each of these three fermentations, and uh, they all dropped to below 10 nothing in four and a half days. Um, So that was kind of an interesting experiment. Um, They actually tasted very good. They were a little bit drier than I would normally like. Normally when I do these kind of fermentations, I usually like to end somewhere between 1002 to 1008, depending. Um, and then I use scavenge, uh, some scavenge 20 ounce soda bottles, as well as some water and seltzer bottles, just what I could get ever, what we could drink there or what I could got found in their uh, fermentation. I mean, in their recycling bin. So I just washed and rinsed those very well. I used, um, my fermentation containers, I used uh, the plastic one-gallon spring... Actually, no, I used the three-liter spring gallon. I normally use the one-gallon jugs here, but I could not find them there in that short of a time. So I just used the, the plain old uh, three-liter spring water jugs. I either you know cut the lid out and put a grommet in it to, to mount my airlock, um, or I used a bung. So it was a really good way. We had some really delicious beverages. My parents, I left what we did not drink down there, and my parents have been serving them to their various friends that come over. <laughs> but these kind of th- beverages, like as opposed to beer, how long did it take you to make the tapache, for example? Or this uh, 15 like, minutes. 15 probably. minutes. Yeah, so these are all yeah super quick. But I think that, obviously, you're not going to get that kind of speed of fermentation in lower temperatures. I think one thing that I found is that... Uh, because these, I've fermented champagne yeast very high before I've made short meads that have probably run 
in our apartment when I we didn't have them in the chest cooler when I left them at room temperature, probably to the upper 80s, maybe even lower 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually find that regardless of the substrate, now I, I would say accepting malt, so these would be non-barley uh, or non-malt-based beverages, um, I think that champagne yeast actually runs really clean for the most for the most part, I think you wouldn't want to start with a very high gravity. Most of these things I'm starting at, I don't know, like a 10, you know, somewhere between 1030 to 1046 starting gravity. Uh, champagne geese can eat through those at pretty darn clean um, at, at upper temperatures. So I think if you have an opportunity, like if you are living, first of all, this is a great way to actually do some fermentation on a travel. It's a super fun way, especially if you're going somewhere warm and you want to impress your buddies that you're with or your friends that you're with. You're going to be at a place for, you know, five or six days. It's going a great home for way Christmas, to, yeah. make, make some Christmas tapache. <laughs> it's a great way to have fun, but also it's a really nice way if you're fermenting, you know, you're, you're, you don't have heat control. You don't have temperature control in your apartment or your house in the summer, and uh, and it does get quite warm. I think these kind of other fermentations are a great thing to experiment with. You can really get some delicious beverages in a very short period of time. Let's go back to that real quick, though. You said that these ended up drier than you wanted them. If you yep. if you were monitoring them and got them to ten or two. Or ten oh four, ten oh six, wherever you end up. How do you stop the fermentation? So, uh, ch- just go ahead and crash cool it. Actually, I didn't even crash cool any of these. I bottled. Uh, that's what I use that that funnel with a um, with the clear plastic tubing at the bottom. I use that to bottle directly from the um, the water jug that I fermented in. Um, and you know, like I said, I was bottling in scavenge bottles, which totally worked. I went ahead and left them out for about twenty four hours. The great thing about f- about bottling in plastic bottles is that you can really feel when they're carbonated because they, you know, they have a lot of give when you first pour the liquid in there. And as the carbonation builds up, they get really tight and um, it's very easy to tell. The other cool thing with bottles is that soda bottles actually have withstand PSIs above 125. So typically somewhere between 115, 120, and 150. So it's a great way to experiment with things that you wouldn't want to, you know, especially if you're trying something new, if you're doing some sugar-based fermentations or, you know, juice-based fermentations, it's a great way to, or honey. We're doing all this very fast because we have very limited time. I know. Yeah. That. Well, we'll devote some more shows to, to But I just want to kind specific. of... I know. But I want to touch on... So when you bottle, you're not worried about oxidation. Nope. When you're, when you're bottling these, you're not worried about... You're not priming them because you're stopping... Generally stopping I did before. Pr- and I still, did. Okay. I did prime okay, these, actually. Yeah. Um, and I primed them higher. So I just used a regular priming calculator like I would when I'm home brewing. Um, but I upped the, P, you know, the PSI. Um, or the, I guess, the carbonation level. Because I knew that these could stand it. As well as because... They were so dry. I wanted to have a little bit of residual sugar in there that I abs- that I went, you know, by leaving them fermenting for four and a half days in this heat that I, you know, went down to such a low gravity that they were a little too dry for my taste. So normally wouldn't have to do that. Normally you would, you know, pull them out at 10.06. Hey, it tastes great. It's still got some sugar left. Bottle them, you know, stick them somewhere for 24 hours. Keep feeling that bottle. And then as soon as it feels right to you, and this is something you can experiment with and learn over time, you know, stick it in the fridge and drink it. These things are meant to be drank right away. Um, they're wonderful summer. There's a lot of really great summer beverages. So I, yeah, I kind of want to, just talk about my experience and hopefully pique some people's interests out there. And we will we'll, we'll devote some more time to these specific beverages later. <laughs> but totally funny that you – and awesome. I love you so much <laughs> that, you, that you left and decided to ferment the two weeks you were gone. Could not stand up fermenting for two weeks. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Ferment about it. Ferment about it. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. And so you got yourself crazy.